We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Yesterday, Cliff Sora shared a top 10 list of hot fusion restaurants, a vegan gluten-free mashup recipe, and a podcast featuring organic food trends. Oh, TMI? I. Too much internet information. That's oversharing. Cliff, Geico has something worth sharing with your friends. Like how on Geico.com you can save hundreds on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim. Gluten-free info that's easy to swallow. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code Rotowire when you deposit on DraftKings, and that'll get you a free contest entry today. All right, Derek Van Riper, it is Monday, December 7th, 2015, week 13 
in the NFL just about wrapped up. Uh, we're treated to Dallas at Washington tonight as the Monday night game. What is your, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your interest level in this game? It's a solid 2.5. 2.5? 2.5. Uh, uh, most of that coming from the Rotowire Vegas League. I forget if I'm in League 1 or League 2. doesn't really matter to anyone listening. Uh, I've got Darren McFadden and Jordan Reed still going. Got to make up about 20 points. It's a non-PPR league, so it's possible, probably not likely, but at least something that could be of interest to me as this Monday night rolls along. I'll probably end up watching a lot of hoops on, on, on this uh, evening. Well, I would like to say that I will be doing the same thing as far as watching hoops, but there, there are a bunch of NBA games tonight, but they all start within an hour of each other. There's nine games on the NBA schedule, and the latest start time is 7 p.m. Central. Oh wow! So I don't know if that's night. to yeah I don't know if that's to compensate for Monday Night Football. The league doesn't typically do that, or maybe it's just you know kind of a glut. If you look at the schedule, it's mostly uh, you know non-West Coast teams playing at home. So yeah, a, a big NBA slate, but definitely not one that is going to last you past nine thirty or ten, unfortunately. But I'll be watching the Portland Trailblazers at the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I'm sure a game that everyone's going to have a close eye on. We should probably just go to the game. Tickets are available starting at $9 because nobody <laughs> goes to weeknight games at the Bradley Center. I'd go. We could get there by 6.30. Easily. If, um, if this pod is done by then. And I'll point well, out we'll it's, it's 12.07 right now. Okay, so we're on the clock. We're trying to do it in a flat hour. I think last week we just went over and we're about, what, what were we, like one thirty something? We broke the record last I week. Think we did. For the football. We had a, a baseball pod back when we started doing those that ran over two hours. I think we had three or four hosts on it, which That's we, too many. we quickly realized was just way too crowded. It was a lot of, no, you go first. No, you go first. Yeah, it, it, was, um, it was a clown show, to be, to be completely honest, and I, th- I think the pod has since recovered. But, yeah, we can, we can dive into it. I mean, the, the weekend for me, quick summary, I found a new place. I was brought to a new place. I didn't find it myself. Uh, it's called The Raised Grain. It's in the town I grew up in, and by that I mean the town I went to high school in, uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. Really nice, uh, small, new brewery that opened up there. So uh, I'm kind of excited about that. Some some good place to go now when I get home. Because otherwise, Waukesha for me, there's some local places there. None that really make their own beer. And then it's just a lot of chains kind of nearby too. So it's nice to have a good local place like that. Not, not as good as like a Carbon 4, uh, but definitely worth my time and worth the time of others if you're into craft beer. I, uh, I drank Ron Diaz mixed with A&W root beer this weekend. Uh, so rum and root beer was what I went with. No craft beer to be found. None? Uh, were you back home? Nope. Nope. I was not back home. Um, I was here. I was in Madison just, just hanging out. Pretty low-key weekend. You know, I had to, obviously a lot of college football on yeah. Saturday. So big college know, football day. To kinda, you know, to kind of ease the nerves of watching that Big Ten title game, which was probably the most exciting like big like that was like the most big 10 possible game you know in the way that it was played and then even the score but it was also really exciting and you know typically those lower scoring you know defensive base keeping it on the ground type of games can can be boring but I thought it was a a really great game did you have a chance to watch Michigan State and Iowa I saw parts of it I was it was on at the raised grain while I was out and uh, I was pretty engaged in the conversation I was having I was talking politics on a Saturday night Mm -hmm. which is never never a good Mm -hmm. idea it just it it devolved into that you know it it wasn't wasn't the goal I, I didn't hey I didn't try to go down that path somebody suckered you into it it just happened I don't even think it was a sucker sort of thing it just kind of naturally progress there you, you hang out with people long enough and eventually the conversation deteriorates to that point that's true i try to avoid talking politics especially uh you know in those type of settings but 
We can get into the Week 13 games. Like we said, just one game remaining, that Dallas-Washington game tonight. But we'll start quickly with the Thursday night game. I know you've already talked about this at length with Mario Puig on the Friday podcast, but Packers 27, Lions 23. Uh, not a must-win game for Green Bay by any means, but it kind of feels like it uh, with as bad as this team you know, has looked over the past four or five weeks. Obviously, they pull it out. We know uh, the Hail Mary play. I don't think the Packers are back by any means. Uh, you know, a win like this certainly isn't convincing. Um, it, you know, it would have been, I think, the first time since 1991 that, that, that it would have been swept by Detroit. So, you know, a Green Bay win on Thursday. Uh, Seattle beats Minnesota, which we'll talk about later. So Green Bay now is back atop the division, but, you know, still not really comfortable with where they're at with four games left. The difference between the four teams in the NFC North is probably smaller than we've thought all along that's become increasingly apparent because of the Packers recent form but yeah for me I don't know what's going on with Eddie Lacy I don't know what they're going to do with him going into week 14 I'd like to see more of John Crockett but at the same time you know you're gonna still give James Stark some touches too so the running back situation's a mess the receivers still don't look that good I'm not buying into Richard Rodgers as any better uh, than he was going into this game against the Lions I know he had a big game eight for 146 and a TD but I don't think we learned anything about the Packers in that in that particular game I think their offense still looks like a shell of what we expected but it's weird because you go back to like even week three against the Chiefs Rodgers picked apart a Kansas City defense that right now looks like one of the better units in the entire league so things change a lot from week to week I guess you still got to have some optimism if you're a Packer fan that they may find a way to stretch the field and and make the offense go, if you will, and, and so be it. If, if that happens, then sure, they can be a credible playoff team. If not, they look like a team that will lose their first playoff game regardless of when that's played or who it's played against. I think a couple of the wild card teams could be going in hot, Seattle being one of them, although it looks like Seattle is on pace for a five seed, so they'd probably miss Green Bay because the NFC East winner is going to be horrible, and then if Green Bay gets in as a wild card, they'd be the six, so they probably wouldn't have to play Seattle. But I, I don't see them winning a playoff game barring a shift in their offensive form. I, I don't think that is any sort of like real uh, significant revelation. It's just kind of an acknowledgement of something that's been going on for several weeks. Right, and they're, they're that type of team when you, you have weapons, especially like Aaron Rodgers, you even look at Eddie Lacy, guys who have kind of underperformed at this point in the season. It's easy to look at them and say, you know, if, if slash when they figure this out, they can be as dangerous as anybody. But I think you have to take a step back and at some point, you know, at what point do we have to consider they're never going to reach that form again? You know, that form that we saw through the first five or six weeks of the season. Can they still get back to there? Or do you think this is kind of the team that they are now and they have to work with what they have and, and work with their new identity? I mean, Ty Montgomery may not come back, which hurts them quite a bit because they don't have that speed on the outside. They don't want to use Jeff Janis at receiver. So I'm less optimistic about it now than I was a few weeks ago. Because I feel like if they were going to figure it out, it would have happened by now. You never really since the San Diego game, even in which they won going into their bye week, this offense just hasn't looked looked they, right. They were outgained in that San Diego game by like two hundred plus yards, I think. Yeah, it was it was a huge day for Philip Rivers in the, in the Chargers' offense. So I'm not as optimistic about it. Upcoming schedule next two weeks at least favorable with the Cowboys and Raiders. Maybe they win the division in an ugly sort of way, but unless they can run the ball more consistently, whether it's Lacy, whether it's Starks, whether it's Crockett. And whether they can stretch the field more, I think that's going to be the, the key as far as their offense coming together. And the offensive line play, I've brought it up several times, that still needs to improve too. Yep, so Dallas and Oakland, like you said, the next two weeks, then Arizona and Week 17 against Minnesota. So the, the division could very well come down to that final week uh, against Minnesota. Of course, the, the Vikings play 
the Cardinals next week. So chance, you know, with uh, with Dallas on the schedule for Green Bay to to take a a one game lead plus the tiebreaker over Minnesota next week. Uh, but as we've kind of seen, you know, these wins that that looked like at the beginning of the season would maybe be givens uh, have been far from that uh, for Green Bay. We'll move on. Jaguars thirty nine, Titans forty two. This is a game, Derek, that I w- I had the pleasure uh, of being able to watch in full yesterday. And you know, you look at the score and you think, oh, the Titans must have you know gotten a field goal late or you know something happened there. Nope, both teams scored six touchdowns. Uh, the Jaguars missed two extra points, failed to convert a two point conversion, and the Titans made all their extra points, and that was the difference. Yeah, that's it. It's all it takes sometimes is just hitting your extra points, making your layups, if you will. Um, defenses just not really showing up in this game whatsoever. Uh, pretty much across the board, the performances you'd expect, though. Allen Robinson with a huge day, uh, Julius Thomas playing well. The depth receivers behind those guys really didn't do a whole lot. Uh, I know if Allen Hearns had played, he probably would have done something of value, but by comparison, they sort of just spread everything else out among the other uh, pass-catching options. TJ Yeldon, total... Uh, performance from scrimmage was pretty good got in the end zone too i believe in this one so actually a really productive day for mr yeldon it's about time first rushing touchdown jaguars first red zone rushing touchdown of the season uh i believe at least by a running back and yeah 57 yards on the ground 79 yards on four catches most of those coming on a 67 yard uh play that pretty much kind of embodied what the defensive effort was like in this game missed tackles galore i mean yeldon's not a burner by any means and titans were just like running up to him and flying away somehow as as he just ran right by marcus mariota had an 87 yard touchdown run in this one that that just shouldn't happen uh, i mean he's a fast he's a fast quarterback as far as quarterbacks go but like untouched 87 yards at, at a key point in the game that gave tennessee a 35 32 lead on the next possession Jacksonville, who really wasn't there, there was no answer for defensively on either side. You know, there was no reason to think Jacksonville, you know, was dead in the water at that point. That was by no means a dagger run by Mariota. Um, but what was the dagger was on that next possession, they take over from the twenty. Snap goes way over Blake Bortles' head. Uh, rather than kicking it out of the end zone, which he clearly had a chance to do, he attempted to recover it. Did not do that, and the Titans pick it up for a three-yard fumble return touchdown. So. Not a great day uh, for for the Jaguars' defense. Probably an even worse day for the Titans' defense, but a great day for Blake Bortles. He goes 24-36, 322 yards, five touchdowns, three of those, like you said, to Allen Robinson. He had 10 catches on 15 targets. He now leads the league with 11 touchdown catches at second. uh, Well, it's first among receivers, second only to to Tyler Eifert's 12 for Cincinnati. Fifth in yardage is Robinson behind Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, and Odell Beckham. I mean, is this guy a legitimate top 10-ish receiver in the league right now? Yeah, he's going to probably cost a second-round draft pick in, in leagues going into 2016. It just He's that good. The thing about him is he's not he, he's certainly not a system receiver you know, by any means. You look at, you know, I, I don't even, in the NFL, that's maybe not quite as common, I guess. But this is a guy who makes difficult catches. He, he bails out Blake Bortles more than, you know, Blake Bortles just, you know, pelts him with targets, I, I guess. So, yeah, I, I'm obviously a big fan of Allen Robinson, as you're aware. Uh, had they had Allen Hearns, you know, maybe maybe this game turns out a little bit differently. But the story for Jacksonville is just like I said, two missed extra points, six missed extra points uh, for Jason Myers on the year now, and and that ill-advised two-point conversion uh, ends up kind of looking a little worse than than it did even at the time. Gus Bradley's excuse was, "I thought we were able to would have been able to grab momentum with that," and uh, no, that was not no. 
No. The, the decision to trade Josh Scobie, who of course got hurt with the Steelers, uh, maybe has cost. He ended up getting cut too, though. I don't. I don't think Scobie was much better. I thought he tore up his knee. I think he got cut. He was because he mm. he messed up like two or he missed a bunch of field goals. Oh in yeah, the first never mind. Weeks. Yeah, the reason they they the, the guy switched him, I think, before right, him got right. hurt, and yeah, Scobie yeah. got cut. So. It was. I mean, it was a lose lose scenario. The kickers, man, they all just blur together for they me. Do. But uh, yeah, tough, tough break for your Jags. Still in the hunt though after uh, after what happened to the Colts last well, that's night. That's the thing is, like, had they won this one, things would get pretty interesting. All of a sudden, they'd be a game back. You know, Indianapolis gets blown out. Houston loses. Um, but still, I mean, I think that, I think this was kind of close to a must win for Jacksonville, unless things get really crazy over the next couple of weeks, which certainly I would not rule out in the AFC South. Um, Jets twenty three, Giants twenty. Good Ryan Fitzpatrick leading game-winning drives in his sleep 10 play 71 yard drive to tie the game uh with just under 30 seconds left he goes 36 of 50 390 yards and two touchdowns one of those went to brandon marshall he had 131 yards on 12 catches decker got over 100 yards Bilal powell 91 receiving yards on eight catches uh to go with a touchdown odell beckham had a big day uh, for the Giants, but he did have a bad penalty late in this game. Were you were you able to catch the end of this? Yeah, so I saw it. He, uh, he he went soccer on a ball that he didn't haul in. It was a bad, poorly thrown ball. It was a bad Eli throw, Manning, right? And he was frustrated, but it's a delay a game penalty. It's a five yarder every single time. Just a, a stupid penalty. But Beckham then on the very next play actually converted on really fourth nice down, catch. made a tough catch, and I think that uh, kept him out of Tom Coughlin's doghouse, which. It's pretty easy to get in there anyway, and Beckham seems like the kind of player because of the the energy he brings and, and kind of the the showy approach he takes to playing the wide receiver position, which is showy by definition. Um, that probably doesn't sit well with Tom Coughlin all the time. So his his willingness to tolerate a dumb penalty like that is even less with a player like Beckham than it would be otherwise. Not that Tom Coughlin is going to be really receptive to a guy doing something like that anyway. Beckham bailed himself out. Uh, Ruben Randall did nothing. Will Ty was their second leading receiver. To me, the, the lack of a, a quality number two receiver is a, a glaring need for this Giants team. And beyond that, of course, we've talked about it time and time again. They can't run the ball. I mean, just imagine this offense. If they were to get, I don't know, Derrick Henry in the 2016 draft. If they were like, to get anyone other than Orleans Darkwa. I, or Rashad Jennings or Andre Williams, or if they just committed to a guy. Pick one they have, guy. They gave four running backs between four and eight carries. That's Shane Vereen, Rashad Jennings, Andre Williams, and Orleans Darkwa uh, combined for 72 yards on 23 carries. Well, if we could get an, a, like a running back on the pod, I'm sure you, you, they'll all tell you, all running backs will tell you, it's hard to get into a rhythm carrying the ball when you're not getting... 15 to 20 carries yeah, I'll, I'll shoot a text over to orleans and see if he's see if, see if orleans week. dark was available he might not want to say anything right now because he's still kind of on the roster bubble to be, to yeah. be brutally honest so maybe we can get mjd oh that would be interesting I, I think what is he doing is he he's got to be in broadcasting somewhere right? yeah i think he's maybe still on Personable sirius xm guy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, not much going on the ground, really, for, for the Jets, either. Chris Ivory, whose season has kind of been a tale of two halves, uh, really not been doing much at all uh, since week six or seven. Just 47 yards on 10 carries for him. Did have a long of 20, but he also coughed it up uh, pretty bad and then costly fumble at the time for the Jets. But you know, they end up coming back and you know still kind of hanging around both of these teams. Obviously, the Giants benefit from playing in the NFC East. Uh, where you can seemingly just lose at will and, and still be in the hunt. But 
you know, Jets sitting at seven and five, second in the AFC East, firmly in the hunt uh, for a wild card spot. Yeah, they are, and I think the tough thing here for the Giants is that they were in position to tie this game in overtime. Josh Brown happened to miss that field goal, so. Uh, this was a close game. These teams are pretty even to me. I think the Giants, as we've looked at a few times, I think they're actually still the most talented team overall in the NFC East. But that loss to Washington last week may really stand people, out and keep them out of the playoffs. People seem to be hopping on the Redskins bandwagon, which is like the, the lesser of four evils, I guess, in the NFC East. I mean, didn't, didn't Cousins or somebody on the Redskins have some comments this past week that they think they're a Super Bowl contender? I don't know. I mean, I, I finally gave up on the Eagles after the Thanksgiving debacle, and as we saw this week, that maybe was a mistake. I, I, I just don't trust. I don't. I don't trust Washington. I don't yeah. trust any of those teams. I don't. The thing is, somebody's going to get into the playoffs, and as we've seen over and over again, you know, it, I think the the NFL falls somewhere between Major League Baseball and somewhere between the NBA. Where in the NBA, you you kind of know. You, you, there's three or four teams per conference, sometimes less, that you just know. Or one of those teams is going to end up in the final. MLB, it's a complete crapshoot. I mean, haven't more since the wild card's been impl- uh, implemented. Haven't more wild card teams you know, made the World Series than than the number one seed. Um, I think the NFL somewhere in the middle, where you, you know there's certainly favorites, but you also see uh, a decent amount of upsets. So somebody from the NFC East is going to get in, and I think that's maybe where that that Super Bowl contender rhetoric comes from. Because you win a couple games, all of a sudden you're right in there. Yeah, I mean, you can make the playoffs in the NFL if you have a down division for a year. We're going to have two divisions that are down like that, of course, the AFC South and the uh, NFC East. But I, I just I don't look at any of those teams as credible in the sense that I expect any of them to win a playoff game. Maybe the Eagles are now an exception, but I also don't know if they have what it takes to even get there. Right, that's true. The, the thing is, you look at like a, you know, a Minnesota team that has a couple questionable losses. Say they sneak in as the... Yeah, as the five or whatever, and you know they end up playing at Washington in round one. Like you could see the Redskins maybe pulling that off. That'd be a coin flip game overall. Right. Um, I think on a neutral field, Minnesota would win that game. Uh, at home, that does certainly benefit Washington, a much better team at home so far this year than on the road. Right. Cardinals twenty-seven, Rams three. Uh, avenging an earlier loss, uh, did, did the Cardinals? Rams now lost five straight. Are we completely ready to write them off? Yeah, they're done. I do. I wonder about Todd Gurley. I mean, if they keep getting blown out, uh, they're going to have some issues volume-wise for him. But I, I don't know. I mean, if, if you took his game log and just flipped it the other way, like just completely reversed it, it would make more sense. Like it would have made more sense for him to get low volume and to struggle in those first yeah. couple games coming off surgery, and then to have this or have the run of the five consecutive hundred-yard games, like going into the last quarter of the season. So I'm a little disappointed. I don't have Gurley anywhere. I stayed away which looked like a huge mistake for a while, and now if you're kind of teetering on the brink of making the playoffs, you're just not sure exactly what you're going to get from every week. You're going to start him every week because the talent is elite. But ranking him right now for the rest of the season is a lot more difficult than it would have been just two weeks ago. Right, just nine carries in this one, 41 yards. 34 of those came on one carry, so very quiet for the vast majority of this day. And five straight weeks now without reaching 100 yards, just 60 yards over his last two games combined. And like you said, Derek, he had 100 plus yards in each of his previous four games, you know, prior to the skid. So Rams offense overall, not good. Todd Gurley, value declining. Nick Foles probably don't want to ask him to to throw the ball 35 times. And then that resulted in 146 yards and a pick. Um, He's not even a backup caliber quarterback in the NFL. He should be out of the NFL after this season. Very, very, very bad. And 
I mean, is it time? Do the Rams have to look at a quarterback in the draft? They're going to be – they're probably going to pick in the top six or seven. And, you know, we've talked about before, there's only a couple run. There's a couple quarterbacks that you'd even consider in that range, and I think it might be a reach to, to look at a guy even like Goff or, or Paxton Lynch. I mean, these aren't guaranteed franchise-changing guys, and that makes it a pretty risky pick. Yeah, they can't take one of those guys there. Take, they take might, a better – take a – no, that's a that's a whole – that's going to set them back three more years if they do that. They're just going to be it's stuck in a holding pattern. They're better off waiting until round two or round three. I mean, Connor Cook would be like a second or third round pick. Well, like, do you think, I mean, can they kind of tread water with a guy like Foles for another year or two? Or, I no. mean, is it they need to draft a quarterback, or do you think they can look somewhere in free agency? Peyton Manning? I still think, I still think like if, if Manning's healthy, the Manning thing kind of makes sense because they've got the run game. They have to add a weapon. I think they should draft a receiver potentially with that seventh they, overall pick if there's one that's racing, at that caliber. Were, were Austin and Bailey both second round picks a couple years ago? Austin was a top 10 or top 12 overall pick, right? Oh, yeah, if not early. Right. He was a really high pick. Stedman Bailey was a pretty early one as well. I mean, just cause Right. He, I think they kind of they kind of squandered both of those. I mean, Tavon Austin's a nice piece, but I don't think he's a guy that you look back on and think he was worth a top 15 pick. Right. If they if they end up having those guys as the 3 and the 4 and they add two new receivers this offseason, that's probably fine. I mean, like Tavon Austin is a useful offensive player. Right. Stedman Bailey, I, I don't know if you want to necessarily write him off as... He was drafted right at the beginning of the third round, for reference. Okay, okay, so, so not not too much of a risk there. There's not so much invested in, in Stedman Bailey where you'd say, oh, I can't draft another receiver right. this year. I can't go out and get one in free agency. And we're not even sure what his status is going to be after right. what happened. Yeah, yeah. Of course, he's recovering from a couple of gunshot wounds, so... I don't know. I mean, the Rams, like they're they're not that far off. I think they're better off going after a veteran if one becomes available. And I don't think Nick Foles is the answer. But that's again hardly uh, a surprise based on what we've seen from him over this year. After tearing up Seattle in Week One, which without Cam Chancellor, we we found out just wasn't even remotely the same defense. He's just been nothing but a disappointment. Cardinals' upcoming schedule: they get Minnesota next week, Philadelphia, Green Bay, and Seattle. So. You know, probably the, the arguably four of the toughest games of the season all coming now uh, down the stretch here. The Philadelphia game, you know, looked like a gimme 48 hours ago, uh, maybe even 24 hours ago, but uh, not so much after what happened uh, yesterday. Obviously, that's a depleted New England team, and we'll get to that game in a bit. But I mean, Arizona is going to have to to keep this going over these next four weeks if they want to hold on to you know hold on to at least a top two seed in the NFC West. I think they'll probably seal up the division even with Seattle coming on. Um, I mean, Seattle's six and five, I believe, or are they seven. Seattle's seven and five. Must be seven and five. Seattle's seven and five. Cardinals at ten and two. I mean, it's hard to see them blowing that lead, um, but still, I mean, they have some work to do at least to seal up one of those top two seeds. Atlanta 19, Tampa Bay 23. Is there a more uninspiring team in the NFL right now among, you know, non-bottom feeders than Atlanta? Uh probably not. I mean, cuz they are definitely in the mix for a playoff spot based on on record. Five straight so. losses and they're they're right in the thick of it. It's really really strange that their offense would be so much better than it has been. I mean, Matt Ryan nine TDs nine picks now over his last six games that's even with Julio Jones who's basically he's like prime Megatron right now and Matt Ryan is revealing himself to be more like Matthew Stafford than we ever really thought he's going like prime Chris Chandler yeah it's ugly Devonta Freeman didn't do a whole lot on the ground did contribute a lot as a pass catcher if you're in a full point PPR league it was a good day Jameis kind of avoided the big mistakes again just the one pick nothing great 18 to 27 for 227 I mean Doug Martin at 
kind of uh, not a surprise that he's been taking on the bulk of the carries again, but just the effectiveness week in and week out, the consistency is what really surprised me because even when he was really good back during his rookie year, it was feast or famine. And a lot of that production, of course, came in that game. I think it was against the Raiders a few years back. But 25 carries, 95 yards, and a TD. I mean, he just he's one of those guys you feel pretty comfortable with week in and week out in season long right now. This is the guy who we thought we were putting on the Rotowire uh, magazine cover a couple of years ago. And, I mean, he's within within 50 yards of the NFL lead in rushing right now, just trailing AD, excuse me, Adrian Peterson, who had a down week. So a guy who could conceivably end up leading the league in rushing, he's uh, well over almost 200 yards uh, above or over 200 yards above the, the third leading rusher, Jonathan Stewart. So obviously a great bounce back year for him. And this Bucks team that you know, we talked about the Falcons still being in the thick of it. Tampa Bay is, is right there as well. Both of these teams now sitting at six and six. Yep, they're they're definitely in the mix. And their recent form is a lot better. I mean, uh, they're kind of the inverse of the Falcons, if you will. Early in the year, we looked at the Bucks, And even going back to that week one blow up against Tennessee, where Marcus Mariota had the four TD passes. Those were all in the first half, too, if I'm not mistaken. They were. Uh, you look back at that, and you thought, okay, wow, the Lovey Smith Bucks are just as bad as the the Greg Schiano Bucks and, and oh, previous geez. versions of this team. I say that name. And it, it's just been, okay, well, they've, they've figured it out. Something's clicking for them. They do have a lot of talent offensively, and as long as Jameis continues to avoid making a lot of mistakes, I think they are. I, they're, they've beaten Atlanta twice, so... They're better, than they're, they're better than Atlanta, and I used to think Atlanta was a playoff team, so just based on that, I think Tampa probably does get in as that second wild card right now. Yeah, and you look at the rest of their schedule, uh, they go, they, they're home to New Orleans next week, which, you know, given this New Orleans team, could be a blowout win, could be a blowout loss, who knows? They're at St. Louis the following week, um, I think that's a Thursday night game, and they're home to Chicago and at Carolina. So, I mean, you look at those next three games, I think those are all very much winnable uh the week 17 at carolina maybe not quite so much but you know i think if you're looking if it's a if you see it as a race between tampa bay uh and atlanta for one of those final wild card spots i think tampa bay probably has the upper hand there but obviously a lot can still happen matt ryan 30 of 45 in this one 269 yards a touchdown and a pick and, and that pick is really what cost him the game uh through that uh, with under two minutes left, I don't know if you saw the highlight, but just a just a really bad throw, forcing it in. Levante David coming up with the pick for Tampa Bay. Uh, like you said, Devontae Freeman, decent day through the air, ten catches. Tevin Coleman just three carries after getting over a hundred yards last season, or excuse me, last week. Uh, but the real story, like you said, it is just Jameis Winston playing well, limiting mistakes. Had a touchdown to Mike Evans in this one. Vincent Jackson uh, nearing a hundred yards, and this Tampa Bay offense looks surprisingly well rounded. Seattle thirty eight. Minnesota seven. Seattle, I think, is. Thank, are you, is this your thank you to Seattle for for knocking off Minnesota? I can't. The Vikings are pulling like an Atlanta sort of maneuver on me. I thought they were legit. I thought their defense has been really good for most of the year, and to lay an egg like this at home. This is their worst game of the year. Uh, yeah, it's right up there with Week One at least, where they oh, got yeah. destroyed by San Francisco. This was at home, though. That's the difference. You shouldn't right. lose by thirty-one well, at, this at home I mean, to they anyone. Had, this was over early I mean Minnesota had no answer Seattle's defense in this one seemed like they were just all over everything Minnesota wanted to do AP was quiet eight carries for 18 yards uh Thomas Rawls ran well for the Seattle offense Russell Wilson's been on a tear recently Doug Baldwin looks like a great in-season pickup in leagues where he was dropped with some more shallow formats for those who waited it out in a full point PPR league and have plugged him in the last few weeks that's been a huge boost in value 
I mean, this is just, I, I'm puzzled. I, I look at Minnesota now. If we talked about this last week, I would have said, okay, Minnesota's got Seattle at home. I think that's a close game, like legit 50-50. Arizona, Chicago, the Giants, the Packers. They could have theoretically run the table over their last five going into this. Like I, I thought that was reasonable. Now I look at them and think, okay, aside from having the potential to win each of their last four games, they could lose their last four games because the Bears are playing better. Arizona's obviously a quality playoff team. The Giants are going to be hungry and probably desperate to possibly win that game to stay in their division race that week. And that Packer game may be for a division title because both of those teams, Packers and Vikings, could both lose two of their next three, and that game could be extremely important in Week 17. Nothing would surprise me with either of these teams, talking about Green Bay and Minnesota from what we've seen. And I think you know Minnesota maybe hasn't had the, the complete 180 that Green Bay has had, but... You know, you look at these these big type of games. You know, they they get up to play Green Bay and and, and get shellacked, and then you you know you're home to Seattle in a game that keeps you in the lead in the division, and you just don't even put up a fight. I think that's that's the what stands out to me about this game more than anything is it was clear from mid, about midway through the first quarter even that like Minnesota just didn't have it. They, they were no match for the Seattle team. That's that's seven and five. I mean, the, Minnesota on paper is the better team, but like you said, Russell Wilson twenty one of twenty seven. 274 yards, three touchdowns, had a rushing touchdown, 50-plus yards on the ground, 11 touchdowns and no picks now over his last three games. Those have all been Seattle wins. I was impressed with Tyler Lockett in this one. Didn't get in the end zone, but had a few nice catches, a few you know, racking up the yak yardage. The guy who's just tough to bring down and you know, looking like a steal, especially with what he can do on special teams. Um, like you said, Adrian Peterson, 18 yards on eight carries. He was pretty quiet after the game. You know, It, it seemed like you know, reporters were maybe trying to get him to answer the, or, you know, to, to give the, I should have got more carries type of answer. But in a game when you're down early uh, like this, you know, it's hard to justify running the ball. Even if Peterson is probably your best weapon, the way Teddy Bridgewater played in this one, uh, he finishes 17 of 28, just 118 yards, a, a very 2014 Blake Bortles-esque type of line. Yeah, that's what you want to see from your quarterback. I mean, the the reality here is that Seattle's defense does seem like it's rounding into form over the last few weeks. So, if that's the case, if Seattle's defense is going to play at that elite level again, it takes a lot of the pressure off the offense, and obviously losing Jimmy Graham, it hurts, but at the same time, they weren't using him the way New Orleans was, so I don't think the offense is going to miss him as much as the Saints would have missed him, for example, in previous years, so it just looks like everything is clicking at the right time for Seattle. It could be a very dangerous team come January. Uh, two, two of my favorite things that happened in this game. One, uh, it's 35-0. Seattle and they score a touchdown it was uh, Doug Baldwin on a long pass from Russell Wilson for his second touchdown of the day uh, they kicked to Minnesota there's just about the end of the third quarter and Cordero Patterson brought it back you know if you if you're starting Cordero Patterson and he I mean he broke this one he's a, a speedster guy I mean broke it pretty obviously he had about 30 yards with nobody close to him and started celebrating and you know looked like he just won the Super Bowl and you're down 35-0 Future Cleveland Brown, Corderell yeah. Patterson. Talk about a fall. Um, and then we also had Tavares Jackson sighting in this game. So I guess the, the Seattle answer to Cordero Patterson celebrating a, a kick return touchdown down 35 was throwing the well, wave the victory flag, and that's Tavares Jackson. We look at these two teams now the rest of the way. Seattle at 7-5, and five, Minnesota at 8-4. and four. Seattle's got Baltimore, Cleveland, St. Louis, Arizona. 
you know, three out of four. I think you love their chances there. And, they, and they can win on the road at Arizona. Oh, yeah, certainly. I, and then the way these teams are playing, you know, I, I think if that, if that game was – if they were at Arizona next week, even after, you know, another win from Arizona this week, what would that line be? Arizona by four, four and a half? Arizona might just get the three that you get for being at home. Right. I, I don't think that that would be viewed as a – yeah, as a major advantage for, for Arizona by any means. Minnesota, uh, they get Arizona next week, and then Chicago, New York, and Green Bay, like you said. So, you know, even with the one-game advantage that Minnesota holds right now, I think you're, you you got to keep an eye on, on the rearview mirror, you know, especially if Green Bay is able to control this division over these next three or four games. Seattle's going to be coming. Well, no doubt about that, and I think their schedule lines up very favorably. So if Arizona struggles at all, Seattle has a chance to really close down that gap, even though it's a, it's a big gap right now. Bills 30, Texans 21. I, I think to me, looking at this slate you know, on Friday, Saturday, this was kind of the biggest toss-up game to me, one that I just didn't know how it was going to go either way. Jags-Titans, I think, was probably in that category as well. But both these teams now 6-6. Six and six. Houston remains tied for that AFC South lead with Indianapolis also losing. Got vintage Tyrod Taylor, 11 for 21, 211 yards, a couple long p- completions to Sammy Watkins, three touchdowns for Tyrod Taylor. Uh, Sammy Watkins finished with 109 yards on just three catches. Charles Clay and Robert Woods both had touchdowns in this one. Brian Hoyer, 26 of 43, 293 yards, three touchdowns of his own, but did have a pick. How about Cecil Shorts showing up, 91 yards on six receptions. DeAndre Hopkins had a touchdown. Uh, and Shady McCoy, 112 yards for Buffalo. So a game that we thought would maybe be dominated a little bit more by this Houston defense, but they ended up allowing 30 points. I think in terms of games that I got to see even highlights or fractions of on the Red Zone channel, this one checked in near the bottom. But Tyrod Taylor, uh, in the words of head coach Rex Ryan, seems to be legit. Like I, I'm buying into what he's been able to do. When the Bills play a decent defensive game, even they can really lessen the strain on him. He doesn't have to throw it 35 or 40 times. Obviously, an effective runner uh, has the arm strength to throw the deep ball. So, just a really nice decision that the Bills made at the beginning of the year that seems to be paying off. I think the Texans are still the best team in the AFC South. Losing at Buffalo is, is not necessarily a, a death sentence at this point. Doesn't mean they've taken a big step back. Buffalo's a, a decent team at the very least, and, and probably something a bit better. Yeah, I think that's probably all we have to say about this game. Not a whole lot to talk about from a fantasy perspective. Uh, another game that definitely falls into that into that category. We'll see if we can keep this one even even shorter. Dolphins 15, Ravens 13. Ryan Tannehill 9 of 19, 86 yards and a touchdown and a win. Yeah, uh, that's great. Uh, I mean, maybe the Dolphins figured something out here. The way to win is to not use Ryan Tannehill. I mean, just treat him like... Tyrod Taylor, play good defense, don't air it out, even though you've got good weapons in the passing game, including Devontae Parker, uh, who scored. Did you see he, that catch? I didn't get to see Ooh. that catch, which is Climbing kind of disappointing. It was a hell of a catch. He's, he's, tal- he's really talented, so I hope they figure out a hierarchy in that receiving core that makes sense for us as fantasy owners on a week-to-week basis. I was just happy to see Lamar Miller get work. 20 carries, yeah. 113 yards. Bill Lazor, Bill Lazor, Bill whatever, not going to work here anymore. He's fired. Um, the fact that he's gone can only be a good thing for this offense. But, yeah, Tannehill scuffling in what should have been a pretty favorable matchup. That Ravens defense has been a leaky sieve against the pass all season. It's hard to fault the guy, though, for not putting up big numbers when he only slings it 19 times. Yeah, I don't think they really needed him to do a whole lot more than that. But, I mean, this Dolphins offense and really this Ravens offense couldn't get anything going at all. I mean, the Dolphins took a, a 15-0 lead, I, I believe it was, into 
the locker room at halftime, oh, 15 to 3, excuse me, and they come out in the second half. These are the Dolphins' second half drives, the entirety of the second half. Punt, 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 fumble, punt. So stay 15, hot. 15 points at halftime, one of those being that, that Tannehill at Parker touchdown, the other being a Derek Shelby pick six uh, of Matt Schaub just before halftime. That was enough. I like Buck Allen, by the way, just looking at this game. I mean, 107 receiving yards on 12 catches, got in the end zone, 63 yards on the ground. It does seem like the Ravens have their lead back for next season. If, even if Justin Forsett is back, I think Forsett may play more of a complementary role behind Allen. And this may be a team that needs to go that route. They're so thin in terms of pass catchers. Maybe Brashad Perriman's healthy enough to play next year, but given the severity of his knee injury I'm not sure he's ever going to play in the NFL right that's, that's actually I mean, like, that's a, there were rumors a couple of weeks ago that he was thinking about retiring yeah uh, that that seems like if you're banking on him to be the main driver of your receiving core next year that seems way too optimistic yeah. so this is another team that needs to invest at that position we'll see what they're able to do uh, but I could see them also just trying to bolster up the defense leaning heavily on Allen and Forsett trying to run it 30 to 35 times every game and it just looks like Allen fits Mark Tressman's offense really well so Tressman stays on as Baltimore's offensive coordinator I think that's only going to fuel optimism about him going into 2016. This Baltimore team is four and eight you know let's say they finish with five wins six wins whatever it'll be over these last four games what are, what are the expectations going to be for them next season I mean, this was a team that was a popular Super Bowl pick you know a consensus probably top four or five team in the AFC coming into this year all that's really changed is you know, Steve Smith, who is upper 30s anyway, he goes down. Uh, they lose Justin Forsett, but, you know, really he really hadn't been that effective before the injury. Brashad Perriman doesn't play. You know, assuming Perriman comes back, maybe they pick up a receiver through the draft or in free agency. It's essentially the same roster, you know, coming back without Steve Smith. Are those expectations going to be just as high as they were before this year, or they have to be tempered a little bit? The expectations will be lower, um, and unless they make a huge splash in free agency and, and really I don't even know what that would needs. be. Yeah, I, I, NFL free agency, yeah. b- before players start getting let go, you're just guessing. I mean, really, like there's just no idea as to which veterans, based on cap number and, and how much they've declined and how the roster bonuses are structured, we have no idea who's actually going to be available or if we we have an idea it's a very loose idea well there's so few players who you can add to a team and instantly go from a six-win team to a nine-win team right you know when you got 22 guys on the field it's so hard to find those impact guys the Ravens were playing a lot of close games though even with the lack of talent they were dealing with earlier in the year I mean they easily could be six and six right now and it wouldn't wouldn't really have shocked anybody if they were six and six they'd be in the wild card race Joe Flacco's knee injury how long it takes him to get back from that is pretty huge uh, if he has a lag at the beginning of the year, he comes back week one. What if he has a Sam Bradford first quarter or first half of the season where he's not that effective? That would be a huge blow for them. A lot of question marks going into the offseason, but a, a well-run organization, uh, at least from a personnel standpoint. Uh, and then, of course, you, you've got at least quality at the running back position to build around, which is not the first place you want it. But they're not completely devoid of talent. They just have a lot of needs they're they're like it's like Baltimore and St. Louis are two teams that had pretty high expectations coming into the season if they do the right things in the offseason they can kind of rekindle that and maybe come in under the radar in 2016. Right and like you mentioned they're one of those franchises that I think uh, from an outside perspective you trust to make the right moves and you don't look at them as a, a team that's going to be mired in kind of rebuilding over and over I mean they're a smart franchise Ozzie Newsom has shown time and time again that that they're, if they're if they have a down year it's not going to be a down half decade like we see with so many of these teams that 
you know, you know, can fail to live up to expectations, and then it turns into a four or five year span where you don't know who your quarterback is. You're, you know, you're misdrafting and, and reaching, and I think we're seeing that kind of right now with St. Louis and, and obviously teams like Cleveland and Jacksonville. I think St. Louis has drafted reasonably well. They do make mistakes, especially on offense, but the way they've built that defense, especially in the wake of the uh, the big RG three trade a few years ago, that positioned them to be. I think at least a credible team for a few years, depending on free agency, other moves, things like that. So they're kind of, to me, like more middle of the road in terms of the draft than a failure team. I mean, the Ravens, for me, are the opposite of the Redskins. Like The Redskins are complete idiots in terms of personnel. The Ravens largely are really smart with personnel, even though they didn't get it right this year. They still weren't as much of a disaster as most teams would have been with that roster. Yeah, I think well, I think you have a room for error that's a little bit lighter when you build around your defense. You know, I, I think you can you can hang in games with better teams when you have a good defense as opposed to just trying to get in a shootout with with teams that are more talented all around. So I think that's certainly the way to do it. Um, but obviously, there's still quite a discrepancy between their offensive talent and the and the rest of the talent in that division and around the league. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting in Week 14. DraftKings will be hosting yet another. Millionaire Maker event, this time $1 million, goes to first place with a total of $2.5 million up for grabs. It's only a $3 entry fee this week instead of the usual 20 so be sure to get in on that. You can do that by going to DraftKings.com, enter the promo code ROTOWIRE. That'll let you play free with your first deposit on DraftKings. Again, that promo code is ROTOWIRE for free entry now with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This is not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. All right, let's get into the rest of these noon games, and we'll start breaking down the late afternoon games as well. Bengals 37, Browns 3. Not much to say about this one. We should just lump these next three games all together and, and like throw them onto the pile of wood and burn it because it's just it's bad. You get the Bengals 37-3 over the Browns. The Niners and Bears actually was an was entertaining game. game, but you look at what these teams did. Did you learn anything about any of these six teams from these three games? I mean, you had the 49ers and Bears, 26-20, the Broncos and Chargers at 17-3, which was just brutal. That, I mean, that's a game that, even in a small block, Red Zone almost exclusively avoided it because yeah. there really wasn't much to see. Um, I mean, these games were all bad. Like The, the, the Browns announced today they're going to go back to Johnny Manziel. Which so we learned about the Browns that Austin Davis is so bad that they're going to go against their own you know, kind of bringing the hammer down, ruling on Johnny Manziel, and just kind of let him off the hook after two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think Mike Pettin as a disciplinary, and he's, he's kind of like, he's kind of like Ralphie's mother on a Christmas story. You've, you've seen I, the Christmas story. You can't miss I that. I think I have. The, you'll shoot your eye out, the oh, BB yeah, gun. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You, you might remember the part of the movie, and everyone has seen this movie because if you accidentally turn on TBS right. or TNT, yeah, yeah. it's on nonstop for like 48 hours now. Very overrated movie. Around Christmas. It's not, it's not, I don't think it's overrated. Well, the fact they play it on a loop, that would suggest that it is overrated, even though I actually do think it's a good Christmas movie. Bottom line, I think he's, I think Mike Patton's a lot like Ralphie's mother. He's just like, well, you, you said the F word, so you're going to eat some soap now. Yep. And... I guess compared to Mike McCarthy, whose punishment seemed to be a lot more whimsical, uh, on a night last week when Eddie Lacy and Alonzo Harris both missed curfew, Alonzo Harris got cut and Eddie Lacy got five carries, which I'm still baffled by. So on the one hand, I mean, there's some consistency in the sense of, well, we're not happy with what you're doing, so we're actually going to sit you down and not play you. 
However, in the Browns' case, it's stupid because it's bad for their organization. It's almost like they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. It doesn't matter how they handle Johnny Manziel. They're going to get it wrong one way or the other. You're going to have some people that criticize them for not being firm enough. You're going to have some people that are like Chris Liss who think they're complete idiots for ever disciplining them at all, which the truth is the answer is in the middle ground. They're back to Manziel. They're still not a good team. He at least makes them more watchable. Andy Dalton only threw it 19 times in this game, 220 yards, two TDs. A.J. Green scored 5 for 128. Marvin Jones scored. No Tyler Eifert for the Bengals. Jeremy Hill ran pretty well. Gio Bernard kind of disappeared, so that continues to be a mystery. Chalk that up under the things that we really don't know. You've got this one. Cleveland starting the game. Punt, loss of possession on downs, loss of possession on downs. Two pick. possessions in a row going out on downs. Hey, at least they were going for it on fourth down, <laughs> so Mike Pettin showing some uh, riverboat tendencies there. They didn't get past the Cincinnati 29 in this game, and that's that's crazy. Bengals have the Steelers, Niners, Broncos, and Ravens coming up. Two tough games, two likely easier ones, but it seems like they are going to win the AFC North, barring an epic collapse, so good for them. Uh, that Niners-Bears game, fun to watch, but all they're doing right now with Blaine Gabbard is making their off-season decision at quarterback more difficult with a guy that you really shouldn't want to have a difficult decision. I know. With. I have the question in here. Is he actually making a case to keep this job permanently? And I think he is. Yeah, like the 49ers are fast becoming the West Coast version of the Washington Redskins in terms of how they make decisions. So they probably will have Blaine Gabbert starting in week one of 2016. Yeah, I think they're going to be in an odd position you know again this isn't a draft that has a top prize that you know that they're going to try to go out and get and and groom as the starter you know if they're unable to to make waves in free agency and and, you know again too this there just aren't that many available starting caliber quarterbacks that you would go out and grab in free agency so unless they're able to make something happen via trade um you know it's just hard to see them finding a, a much better option than Blaine Gabbert which sounds crazy but you know, this is a guy who had a 44-yard rushing touchdown in this game to tie it off or to tie it up, and then a walk-off 71-yard touchdown to Torrey Smith. And you know, yeah, it's going up against the Bears, and what's ultimately a meaningless game for both teams. But I think Gabbard has played you know noticeably well. This team at least seems to be responding to him better than they were Kaepernick. I mean, this is a 49ers team that around week six, week seven, maybe even later, looked like it had pretty much given up. Yeah, I mean, they're 4-8, and eight, and there are a handful of teams in the league this year that are 3-9 and nine or 4-8 and eight that all are not completely horrible. But The Browns are like the one team that they're really awful. stands out as being awful. Worse than the others. Like, they're even like a notch below the Titans right, right. now. Titans are bad, Jags are bad, 49ers are bad, Bears are bad, but the, the Browns are kind of in a ceiling, or excuse me, a basement of their own. They are, they're doing everything in their power right now to get that first overall pick. I almost wonder if they're... If they're using Johnny Manziel as like a scapegoat to tank, like like their their punishment, like they like they come off looking like good guys, they know that not playing him actually gives them a better chance to lose, and therefore they have this perfect path to tank harder than anyone's ever tanked before. You know, maybe that's part of the solution there. That's possible. I mean, Jim Tomasula, I, I don't think he's a great coach. I, he's got nothing to work with, and the fact that they're not the Browns right now says that that guy can at least do something as far as motivating his players to show up. So. Hats off to him for for that achievement, I guess. Also, kind of thinking about the quarterback problem and the lack of quality options in the draft, I mean, even in terms of backups that have been cut or guys that will become available, nobody has signed Ryan Mallett yet. And I I just think back to when we were all ripping, and I was part of this, ripping on uh, Bill O'Brien for hemming and hawing about Mallett versus Brian Hoyer. I mean, 
maybe, just maybe, the coaches who watch these players every day do know more than we give them credit for. The entire league so far has passed on freely available Ryan Mallett in an era when there are some really, really bad backup quarterbacks out there. Right, right. And, you know, Ryan Mallett is certainly not proven to be a good quarterback, but he still seems to have, you know, with all these, he's kind of in a group of like 10 or 15 backups. You know, Matt Schaub, I think, was in that group, too, of guys that are just kind of retreads, you know, guy you pick up just because he might be good enough to pull out a game here and there if somebody goes down. And Mallett's like one of the rare guys in that category that still hasn't completely proven that he's not a great NFL quarterback or good NFL quarterback, I should say. I mean, he's he certainly hasn't shown a lot of promise, but I think he he remains in that zone where there are still teams that see him as a, yeah, maybe we could be the team that, that figures him out. Mostly because he's 6'6", 245, right. and he's a strong arm, not because of anything. He hasn't done of, anything on the field to prove that. Right. But I think, there are still, I think he still has a leg up on like the other bunch of quarterbacks just because of that size and because there's still that, that quote-unquote potential that he holds. I, I think it's, it's just a, uh, it's a unicorn really is what it comes out to i mean you're not gonna it's just not gonna happen for ryan mallet aside from like you you got the physical tools sure clearly a guy that doesn't get it as far as you know i gotta show up on time and i gotta make the flights and i have to like be a somewhat decent teammate if things aren't going my way like that's just one of those things where I, i know it's probably easy to get enamored with the more high ceiling player when you have to make a choice like this as a coach but he just seems like bottom floor in terms of like makeup and that at a court in a quarterback situation that's a problem I mean bottom floor and makeup I guess would be like significant crimes against humanity so he's a tier above that but Marcus Vick yeah right like that that level but it's just you you want your quarterback to be a plus makeup guy every time if you're going to try to grade that and he's just not even close to that there's really not much precedent for like the you know badass you know breaking the law you know not not your straight shooter type of guy succeeding at quarterback is there like I mean people like to say that about Brett Favre and and he's this is a little you know early Brett Favre as well before my time but I mean he wasn't out there just complete I mean what was he like Manziel level the way people kind of talk about him you know it's interesting in the sense that I I didn't I wasn't living in Wisconsin then I was a kid growing up in Michigan so my perspective on Favre growing up was pretty different than people who grew up around here you do wonder with social media you know which players from previous eras would have been constantly receiving spotlight and certainly with Favre and and Chimura and some of the stuff that happened off the field there there was a lot more this 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 still happens though there's still guys that are better at hiding from the media and and keeping these things from being in the public spotlight than others clearly that that that's gonna happen Johnny Manziel's the only player in the league that goes out and parties on the off week you know other guys other guys are just smarter about it they take away cell phones they hold private events where people can't just come up and film you right they have security they have security they have security people that are watching it sounds crazy that you have to do that but that's just kind of where if you're an nfl quarterback or an nfl player in general or an, an athlete in general that's just kind of where we are if you were anybody in the public sphere who had reason to protect that sort of behavior at all even just the air on the side of caution you should do that if you can if you have the means to do it i mean right i assume politicians act similarly like at least oh, at, yeah. at the higher levels when they have the money to do it you, you think that the people that represent you in government don't ever go out and, and party at all ever well the thing is it, it sounds crazy in you know from an outside perspective it shouldn't be like that you know they it's not illegal to go and drink but it in the in the court of public opinion that doesn't matter if 
if President Obama was photographed under any scenario holding like a Bud Light, people would lose it, people right? Would like, freak what is he out. doing drinking when there's countries to be run? You right. Know, it, it, people, and it's the yeah. same thing for athletes. The, the, yeah, there's nothing. We don't. We seem to like lose the ability to think rationally. Politics even more so than sports. Oh, yeah. But it's just we care about things that really don't matter with some of these players. And I think we, because of the way the media depicts certain guys, and, and certainly Tim Tebow and Johnny Manziel, like they're they're guys that ESPN just they can't seem to get enough of. They think that it drives viewership and it drives engagement. And maybe the metrics all bear that out. I don't think that's a. I don't think it's necessarily like this made up concept. I think they find that. They're just polarizing people that get people to tweet at the shows and engage with their hosts, and that's what they want. They want as much engagement as possible, so they just keep feeding the meter. And you know, Johnny Manziel, those pictures come out. Other players, those pictures probably even exist, and no one cares enough to go get them. That's it. It's as simple as that. All right, touching real quickly on the Broncos-Chargers game. This is the one that we've kind of avoided of, of these big three uh, afternoon games, but Crocodile Dundee, 16 for 26, 166 yards and a touchdown. I did have a pick in this one, kind of a game management uh, situation for him where the Broncos got up and just kind of ran the clock out uh, with Ronnie Hillman and C.J. Anderson. Phillip Rivers, 202 yards and a pick for him. Melvin Gordon, basically the typical – I feel like he has this line every single week now. 12 carries, 55 yards fumbled and didn't have a carry after the fumble yep that seems like a good way to build up the confidence of a young player also by the way san diego you're trending towards like cleveland status not because your roster is horrible but just in terms of your record what do you have to lose by letting melvin gordon play more uh, i mean the football i guess uh, the way that so who cares you lost <laughs> yeah, anyway they, well they went with donald brown yeah that's what stretch. i mean it's, it's not like, like you have some right. other young back that yeah, you're trying that, to get a look at that's the other thing with that it, it's kind of like benching a young quarterback for the veteran because you know he throws a couple picks it's like it's 100 percent justifiable to bench a player if you have a higher upside player regardless of age behind them but when that player is donald brown i i just don't i don't get it i don't get it at all i know he's fumbled six times on 155 carries four been lost a lot of fumbles i also just think if, if you invest a top 15 overall pick in a player you should be a little more confident in his ability to figure it out than to just say, "Well, you coughed it up again." We're going with Donald Brown. Like Donald Brown's not a part of your future. Just think it, like think it through in the sense that you want him to get better. You want him to have opportunities to protect the ball better. So next year, when you decide he's your starter again, he's not going in with a third of the workload he should have had over the final six games because he coughed up a couple of fumbles. That just seems really stupid to me. Yeah, especially when these games, you know, at this point in the season for San Diego, don't matter at all. I mean, they're they're firmly out of it. Games for teams in any sport that are out of it are actually pretty valuable currency for talent evaluation purposes. And I feel like so many teams get that wrong in the name of, well, let's try to keep this as close as possible. Let's make this look respectable. Let's send a message to the other young players in this team that making a mistake will not be tolerated if you were a first-round pick. I don't know what exactly motivates Mike McCoy to do things this way but I don't understand it let's get back to real football Chiefs 34 Raiders 20 just like that the Raiders now five and seven they've dropped four of their last five kind of the the hot team right around midseason after uh, ripping off a few wins a close loss uh, at Pittsburgh and you know the wheels have kind of fallen off and with with Denver Green Bay San Diego and KC remaining on that schedule this could go from what looked like maybe you know 11-win season at best, 10-win season to maybe a 6- or 7-win season. Yeah, I think 7 would be a stretch right now. I think they're more likely to end up with 6, and that only win may come against San Diego. And even that's not necessarily a no. gimme for a team 
like the Raiders. Alex Smith kind of game-managed it this time, 16 of 22, 162 yards, two TDs. Jeremy Macklin scored twice. Nice undervalued player on draft day, and every week on DraftKings, it seems like his price is really fair as well. Latavius Murray ran pretty well for the Raiders. I guess that's the, the silver lining in this one, but the Kansas City running backs didn't do anything. They almost split carries evenly. 9 for 35 for Sharkandrick West, 7 for 26 for Spencer Ware. Just really kind of an ugly situation where both players are hurting each other right now. I'm curious to see if they go back to a heavier workload for West in Week 14. Yeah, the Raiders actually outgained Kansas City by quite a bit in this game. I think over 150 yards, and you know the, the turnovers ended up being the Achilles heel. Three interceptions for Derek Carr, but Chiefs just kind of continuing to do what they've done over these last five or six weeks, just grinding out games and and finding the right balance between Alex Smith game managing and, and Alex Smith actually airing it out a little bit more of late. And you know, like you said, Jeremy Macklin, nine catches, 95 yards, two touchdowns for him. Um, but yeah, very disappointing if you if you went with either Sharkandrick West or uh, or Spencer Ware this week, then you, know, you, you kind of did get burned. Um, Panthers forty one, Saints thirty eight. Surprisingly, one of the more exciting games of the week and maybe even of the season. This is one that you know, the first time Carolina has been pushed late in a game in a while. Um, but I mean, Mike Tolbert gets in the end zone. Cam Newton throws five touchdowns did have an interception early in this one as, as they got down 14 to zero saints kind of jumped on them defensively early uh 49 rush yards also for cam we'll start with this i mean has he overtaken tom brady with another patriots loss on sunday in the mvp race yeah i mean it's in and the patriots last two losses now you got to kind of grade them on a curve of course right. with all the personnel they've lost but cam hasn't been dealing with a quality group of players around him all season he's got a good running back in jonathan stewart Got a pretty good offensive line. Good tight end. Yeah, but... pretty good offensive line might be a stretch. Got about an average offensive line at best, but he's still holding it together. Ted Ginn, I mean, if he had better hands, he'd be unstoppable just based on Ted Ginn would ability. honestly have like probably seven or – well, I, mean, I don't even know how many touchdowns he had. He had two in this one, but, I mean, he would probably be up eight or nine touchdowns without the drops. I mean, he's dropped three or four clear touchdowns on the season. Would he be like a top 15 fantasy receiver he if, he had, well if he had like elite hands? I mean, in the Green Bay game alone, he had two major drops, I remember. And every week with seemed, him. Yeah, I mean, it seems it, like it's every week. It's, you know, the speed versus – you know, one or two big drops per game, I guess. But still, two touchdowns for Ginn in this one. Jonathan Stewart got in the end zone. Uh, like we said, Mike Tolbert got in the end zone as well. Drew Brees had three touchdowns, did have a pick. Mark Ingram uh, had a touchdown. It was penalized for what looked like scaring a photographer. He threw a ball over the head of a photographer, and then the other photographer, who didn't seem to have a camera in her hands, uh, kind of reacted to it because seeing a ball fly by your head probably is a little bit intimidating but I don't understand why that's a penalty players do that all the time well yeah I mean, he ran it in and times. then kind of whipped it as hard as he could into the the wall I guess behind the end zone has anybody ever sailed one over the wall and just drilled a fan in the face because that seems that like was, it that seems like a high probability like accidentally overthrew it because you're right. so excited was close and, to doing that too I, those walls aren't that high at most no stadiums either except so. for Qualcomm doesn't doesn't San Diego seem to have like an extra large wall or is that just me Qualcomm's such a dump probably I don't like that stadium it's a, it's a horror it's the worst uh, the stands first of all are like way too far away from the field well, it's not. It was a shared. It was a baseball and right. football stadium too. So, 
I mean, part of the reason why the Chargers are always a candidate to move away, San Diego, not well, building them a stadium, and that's well, definitely I mean, a they factor. Couldn't, they haven't even, like, adjusted the stadium since the since Yeah, the they don't even play team. baseball in there I mean, anymore. I Petco's been up for, what, 10 years? Yeah, Petco's awesome, great ballpark, and they haven't even seemed to fix the football stadium yeah. to actually be for it's football. Been, it's been at least 10 years, right? I mean, Petco was – did Petco open after Miller Park? Same time, 03, so, 04. I was on yeah. the tour this spring. I can't remember what year it was. It's been at least a, at least a 10 years now. Uh, but, man, this game is probably the best game of the week, really, in terms of the overall yeah. excitement for me. I, I thought it was great. It was back and forth. I think both teams had double-digit leads at some point. Everybody offensively contributed. Brandon Cooks had a TD in this one, 6 for 104. Mark Ingram did run it pretty well. Only had the 12 carries because it was back and forth, up and down. But everybody played pretty well offensively as far as the fantasy the players defense, you were relying though. on. Oh, the Saints wow. defense is just horrendous. I mean, the Carolina defense, I guess, wasn't much better. But the New Orleans defense was like blatantly bad the coverage I mean it just seemed like you know you watch a good team play and, and you know maybe once or maybe twice in a game there's a coverage breakdown for a long pass like that was like every play for New Orleans you're watching Ted Ginn just streak across the field uncovered for touchdowns and it it was kind of mind-blowing I didn't realize quite how bad it was it was it was ugly but great game to watch nonetheless yeah so chances that Carolina goes undefeated Atlanta New York Giants, Atlanta, Tampa Bay. That's who remains on the schedule. Uh, Those teams have a combined 23-25 and 25 record. Atlanta's a Jekyll and Hyde team, kind of like the Saints in the sense that they can show up at any time and actually like play with a team like Carolina or just outscore them. I don't know, the though. I'm kinda, I would have said that a couple weeks ago, but they've, I mean, they've strung together like six straight terrible games. The Giants game, home or away? The Giants game is, I want to say it's home, but let me double-check on that. Real quickly, I, mean, I don't know. Game is, 20, is at New York. Twenty-five percent chance of winning the last four, which is pretty high. That's actually, pretty to, high. to win four games in the NFL, I, I just I, that's probably too high because you're looking at teams that are all battling for a playoff. I think if spot. you looked at like the official, you know, like number fire or five thirty-eight, like you know, probability it would be less than twenty-five. But well, at the same time, it's like if you if you take each game individually, which one do you say Carolina loses this? You know, it. it it's going to take one of these teams' best effort. And we're at this point in the season where Carolina knows. I mean, they're 12-0. and 0. For me, it's the Giants, though, because the Giants almost beat the Patriots, and the Patriots are undefeated just a couple weeks ago. But then the Giants go and lose to the Jets. Well, the NFL's like this. I think people get really pissed off that the NFL doesn't fit perfectly into the computer program that says they should, each team should win this game by this many points. I mean, that's why we watch, right? Like that's if, if, every game, if every game turned out just like the spread said it should or was going to, that wouldn't be in, like entertaining at all. And I just think the the nature of winning the last four games against these teams in December versus having to win against these very same teams, even in November, is different because every every week for the opposing team could be a game that has huge playoff implications. I think having to do that is what makes it harder. I think teams are, are looking at Carolina. They're getting more tape on the offense, trying to figure some things out, finding ways to break down the defense. Maybe the Saints help provide something of a blueprint that these other teams can use. I mean, Atlanta does at least, when they're playing well, have Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, a, a top 10 or a top 5 running back, and Devontae Freeman. They've got a lot of weapons. The Giants, of course, have a, a mix in the passing game, mostly just Odell Beckham. But I think the Giants can lose to anybody, and the Giants can beat anybody. But as we've seen in, in this next game, that can happen. That's how the league works. Any team can beat anybody in any given week, even though something might seem completely obvious going into a particular matchup. 
if there's one thing that works in favor of Carolina when you you know you talk about weapons like ODB and, and Julio Jones is you can kind of in theory you can stick Josh Norman on those guys. I mean th- these are teams in New York that has it's you know it's Beckham and everybody else. Atlanta is Julio and everybody else. So if you can at least neutralize, maybe not shut down either of those guys. I mean those are probably the two best receivers in the game right now. Uh, all due respect to to Allen Robinson <laughs> and, 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 DeAndre, and only Allen Robinson and DeAndre Hopkins and you know there's so many talented receivers we could go on and on um, but you know if you can neutralize those there's just no one else in these past games that really strikes a ton of fear into you so I think that's gonna that's gonna be kind of what it comes down to because the Saints showed that if you air it out against this Carolina defense they're a little bit more vulnerable than if you just try to shove it down their throat yep I would I would agree with that they're gonna be a lot more stout against the run I think if you do have a chance it is with a well-balanced passing attack, but it's a good point that uh, the Giants certainly don't have it, as we talked about before. And even Atlanta, unless Leonard Hankerson and, and Jacob Tammy kind of go back to earlier season form, they don't really have those secondary weapons uh, as pass catchers either. Eagles 35, Patriots 28, and one of the more surprising results, at least on paper. I mean, then you look and you know it's pretty easy to forget how depleted uh, New England is. You know, no Gronk in this one. No Adelman, uh, just you know, without so many weapons, maybe it's not quite so surprising. But I mean, Philadelphia dominated this game, and it really wasn't as close as the as the score showed. Um, you know, Rotowire's own Mike Doria, uh, resident Patriots fan, resident Patriots uh, trash talker, I guess. Maybe not in the traditional sense, but you know, more like subliminal trash talk. Nowhere to be found in the office today. Suddenly, the guy that's a Patriots fan that always tells us how great the Patriots are uh, doesn't come into the office when they lose to a team that everyone said was maybe like the Cleveland Browns, but run by Chip Kelly instead of by Mike Pettin coming into the week. I mean, that's people were just dumping on the Eagles. Everybody right. in the office is like thoroughly disappointed that Mike didn't come in today. Every, every <laughs> single person had a one-liner queued up. Oh yeah, to zing him as soon as he came in, and it's. Uh, it's disappointing to me that he didn't show up. Uh, obviously, we'll get him on Wednesday when he's back in oh, next. Yeah, we'll he's, a, he's a Tuesday off day guy. Maybe between now and then, I'll get some Philadelphia Eagles duct tape on Amazon and just like duct tape the entire opening to his door, just like completely cover it so he can't get in. That might be what I do. I don't think he listens to the pod except for the day that he hosts. So no. I could plot this yeah, on, we, on the we recording. Can be open about our plot, and it, it won't even. I'm admitting it that I'm doing it too. Yeah, so I'm trying to think happens, if I have any Eagles like paraphernalia that i could i could donate to this cause maybe we could go to the thrift shop and just find as many eagles items as possible and yeah, then just see if we can dig up a hugh douglas jersey oh man we are we're in the I, would, wrong, I think i'd want to keep that for myself we're in the wrong part of the country to find a hugh douglas <laughs> jersey over at the uh, thrift I, got, store. Hey, I got a free month of amazon uh, amazon prime shipping so if we order like right now it, it might be here by wednesday morning i know as soon as we're done recording we're gonna order some eagle stuff okay where was demarco murray yesterday even when the game was close late Kenyon Barner was the one getting carries. Mark Murray had eight carries, 24 yards. Barner had nine for 39. Lost a fumble really late that kept the door open. Is there the a Patriots. conspiracy here? I mean, where did Kenyon Barner go to school? Yeah, exactly. It, it maybe maybe it's those ties to Chip Kelly. I just I just want to know. Racist Chip Kelly is going with Kenyon Barner. <laughs> going with Kenyon Barner instead of Demarco Murray. <laughs> Racist. According to Zach Berman of the Philadelphia Inquirer, Sam Bradford is now five and two in the last seven games he's finished, which is a little bit I'm misleading skeptical. because you have to actually finish. I mean, like, come on, like, dude, he gets hurt all the time. That's part of the problem. He's gone fourteen quarters though without throwing a pick. Uh, so, kind of an interesting thing to bring up. The fourteen quarters without a pick is a little more of a, a step in the right direction. Maybe he's just getting more comfortable following his second ACL surgery, getting accustomed to Chip Kelly offense. The optimism is still, I think, somewhat limited. Uh, yeah. Very. He was 14 of 24 for 120 yards and two TDs. Darren Sproles had 15 carries. Why 
Why did that happen? Why are I they running know. four running backs? Uh, I guess Ryan Matthews didn't, didn't. That's the new thing to do in the NFL. He's yeah, just Ryan copying. Matthews didn't play in this one, but still. Chip Kelly's just copying Tom Coughlin. Uh, Jordan Matthews and Zach Ertz scored. No pass catcher above 36 That's yards. That's what you want, though. It, at least they're scoring. Like Both of those guys were having some trouble getting into the end zone yeah. for the last several weeks. James White had a Deion Lewis-type game. Uh, 10 catches, 115 yards, a TD, 13 targets. Brady was 29 of 56, three TDs, two picks. One was a pick six. Snuck in a TD late. Also caught like a 36-yard pass from Danny Amendola. So he was really kind of filling up the stat sheet uh, in this one. And speaking of Amendola, 7 for 62, TD on 13 targets. Looks like he's reasonably healthy coming off that knee injury. Scott Chandler had a late TD. Didn't go full Gronk, but 4 for 61. At least uh, returned value for those who paid the nice price of 2500 for him on DraftKings. A bargain, really, going into Week is, 13. Is Brady going to have receiver eligibility now on DraftKings? Uh, not on DraftKings. Maybe no. on Yahoo, though. They tend to have pretty light thresholds for adding those things. Remember when Joe <laughs> he was, Webb he was, was playing the quarterback? leading and... receiver for a good chunk of this game until the New yeah. England offense kind of woke up late in the second half. But, uh, yeah, that, that, one, that one reception for 36 yards was enough. Uh, I think uh, James White ended up being, being the leader for most of this game. Ten receptions, 115 yards for him. So kind of taking over that Deion Lewis role and, and finally being productive in that role. We'll finish out with the Sunday night game. This one got ugly pretty quick and, and continued to get uglier, capped off by the Antonio Brown celebration that I think was the the lasting point from this game. Have you seen the video yet? No, I've been I don't waiting. know how you avoided it. I, I do a good job not watching a lot of TV in the morning. I mostly... Well, I mean, even like this was like immediate Twitter fodder for like a good hour. I was doing a, a magazine mock draft, oh. so that had something to do with my like, attention span on this game. For baseball? Yeah, it was a baseball mock, oh. so you know, a lot going on there trying to keep up with that. Uh, but I, I do, I, and once this this thirty second ad finishes playing, I'm going to watch the five second video of Antonio Brown getting penalized for use of goalpost after TD. According to it was more of like more shock than anything. Like it wasn't it wasn't taunting. It was just like it was. Like, I mean, if you haven't seen it somehow, it was on a kickoff return. So he already has two receiving touchdowns at this point. Brings back a hundred yard kickoff to I mean ice a game that had already been iced like four times at that point. And he just like never slowed down. He just ran full speed and leap hugged the goalpost and just slammed into it. Oh, I've seen Steve Smith do this before. Oh yeah, I thought he was trying. He he was just trying <laughs> to cling on to it. Yeah, he was going too fast and like wasn't. I think he like reverberated off of it. That probably hurt a, a little bit. I would bit. think. Yeah, and you can see the poor woman standing on the other side of the goalpost as as Brown reaches around to kind of to hug it, accidentally gets her hair. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes, on the replay. Okay, here's, here's my question, though. I mean, why? first and foremost, why would you want to try to shatter your testicles on a goalpost after well, running thing. a punt he went, back? He went testes first. He did. There it, was no buffer there. That's bold. And, and, and like that's even more bold than skeleton in the Winter Olympics when you go headfirst down oh, the mountain geez, on, a sheet of, on, on, a, on a sled, basically. Here's the thing I don't understand. This game is 38-10, under five minutes in the fourth quarter, and Antonio Brown is running back a punt. Uh, was it Jaco- is it Jacoby Jones? Yeah. The Steelers? Did he get he, hurt or did he, he got, No, he muffed like two punts. And Who cares? Tomlin, Tomlin was asked about it and, and said he's done. Uh, so fine, they're going to so, cut him. But like, put some other guy back there. Put Jordan Todman back there and see if he can catch it. I mean, Antonio Brown, like, <laughs> is he going to be on the injury report with like testicular bruising? Going into week 14? <laughs> well, I mean, we'll never know. Mike Dory is usually in charge of that kind of stuff, and if he's not in the office... I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna we'll have to, to get, chat, We'll Mike. have to get Tech Brigham to add testicular bruising to the injury list. 
It's not in there already. That's that's kind of disappointing. Um, <laughs> I think we should have put it in there for Karan Butler. I mean, obviously, all the um, well, maybe that's just NBA. I think there was a there was an injury. It was Michael Barrett for the Cubs. I think a foul tip. He was a catcher. A foul mm. tip hit him in that region, and mm. they. Mm-mm. I want to say the injury was was it scrotal hematoma? Like there oh was the, 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 the definition was extremely like. Medical it makes you want to just go put on like a cup right now. Just, just so you don't get, so you don't take a foul tip while doing a pod. You almost never want to hear the word scrotal. You never want to hear the word hematoma, and you like you never ever want to hear them back to back. Yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, it, it was. It was something along those lines. I'll have to, to Google it. And uh, sorry to those who have young children listening and have to answer questions about what that means. But uh, my apologies. You probably should have learned long ago not to listen to this pod with your children. Yeah, I think there's been enough Jaguars talk to drive you know most children away, I would hope. Um, just to finish out this game, Matt Hasselbeck, first loss this season. Um, you know, the Cinderella story, I guess, is over. Maybe Andrew Luck might get this job back. That was a legitimate point of discussion on the pregame show and the postgame show last night on, on NBC was, you know, does Andrew Luck deserve to get this job back when he's healthy? And the obvious, extremely clear answer is yes, right? Yeah, it's... Andrew Luck's the franchise quarterback. If he's healthy, he's the guy. The guys on TV were like split 50-50. Like, was know. one of them Tony Dungy? I don't know. I think he was, I think he was on there. I, I don't remember what show it was, honestly. I, I, what, you know, it's just your typical talking head. You know, some That's former just players, such former a coaches. stupid. I was like, how, shame on the producers that even put that on the outline. Well, think, I mean, th- I think of something else to talk about. I guess it's a legitimate question just because going no. into this game, he was, he was undefeated, but it's Andrew Luck. Yeah, it's Andrew Luck and it's Matt Hasselbeck. Like that's just right. your team matching up against some weaker teams. What'd be interesting and is if being fine. Like, it, at what level of quarterback would you have to stick with Matt Hasselbeck? Say this was happening to the Falcons. Like, I could see you could make a case. You know, like this exact scenario, but you know, it's just it's Hasselbeck instead of Ryan. Ryan's hurt, and you know, Ryan's been pretty uninspiring. Hasselbeck comes in and he's four and one. Like, you could maybe think. Okay, I don't know. Matt Ryan, I think we could we could do without him for a couple games to see if we can keep this going. But even Matt Ryan, you're like, I don't know, this is Matt Ryan. And Andrew Luck is on like a much higher tier, I think, than Matt Ryan, right? Andrew Luck is supposed to be one of the once-in-a-decade type prospects, right. and maybe even like once-every-20-years type prospects if everything goes well. I think it's more the former than the latter at this point based on what we've seen. But at the same time, the notion that Matt Hasselbeck winning some games in his absence, Matt Hasselbeck doing his job as Matt Hasselbeck shouldn't change what the Colts think of Andrew Luck? I don't. I don't know why there's nope. never a voice of reason with things like this. Yeah, I don't. I'm trying to think of like even a comparison of what that would be like. I, I mean, I, I don't think Andrew Luck is like LeBron level, but that'd be like if LeBron had some sort of injury, was out for a month, and Richard Jefferson came in and played really, really well, and it's like, I don't know. You think you think we should keep LeBron off the bench? Richard Jefferson's looking pretty good, and no, I mean, it, even if Andrew Luck has been okay so far, he's played tougher opponents. His, his upside is clearly higher. They know what he can do at this point. I think it's just a ridiculous conversation. Also, to close the book on the previous ridiculous conversation, the official diagnosis of that Michael Barrett injury was intrascrotal hematoma, which sounds even worse than... As opposed to an extrascrotal? Yes. Ugh. Yes. Ugh. All Awful. Right. All right. Well, we'll end on that note. Uh, so thanks, as always, for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, we're brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. And again, you can use that promo code ROTOWIRE when you deposit on DraftKings. That'll get you a free contest entry today. Of course, be sure to check out our site, rotowire.com. You can do that for free. Uh, 10 days of free premium access, no restrictions at all to the content that you can take a look at. 
That's all sports, not just the NFL. You can redeem that offer by going to rotowire.com slash pod. Sam Adams, we're constantly improving who we are, what we do, and how we brew. We may craft over 60 styles of beer, but it's Boston Lager that has captured the heart of America since 1984. With its deep amber color, caramel notes, and signature hop character, what better to have in your pint glass? Sam Adams, Boston Lager. Pursue better. Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass. State responsibly. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.